Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading can be found on page 713 and is taken from Isaiah chapter 30, page 713. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them, who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. An oracle concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, The envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels, to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness." These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right, tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him.
O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. He will also send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground and the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in broad meadows. The oxen and donkeys that work the soil will eat fodder and mash spread out with fork and shovel. In the day of great slaughter, when the towers fall, Streams of water will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon will shine like the sun, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven full days, when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. The second reading is on page 971. From Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 19. Page 971 at the top. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We'll remain standing and I'll pray for us. Our Father, we've been singing that you would disturb the sleep of death that is in us, that you would exalt your precious name, that you would give us a thirst for you, a hunger for the bread of life. And so we pray in grace and power that you draw near to us through your word. And we pray this, that we may change to your praise and glory and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, please do sit. Uh, Very good to see you uh, this morning. And uh, may I add my own welcome to that uh, that Peter's already given to you. My name's uh, Paul Williams, uh, and uh, as Peter's mentioned, I'm the vicar here. And uh, if you're visiting, then you're very, very welcome. Um, Maybe you've just uh, come back uh, for a week or two, having been away. I know a few people are doing that this week. It's great to see you, and uh, you're very, very welcome. 
We've been looking through Isaiah chapter 30, uh, well, Isaiah chapter 28 through to 39, and we're on chapter 30 uh, this morning, uh, the first of the readings that Janet read for us, and I'd certainly encourage you to turn it up, page 713. I think you'll find it helpful to have in front of you. Uh, 20 months ago, I got a telephone call that rocked me. Uh, It was from a very good friend of mine, and um, he rang me up to tell me that uh, for some years he'd been repeatedly sinful in one particular area of his life. As a result of his sin, he'd uh, wrecked his marriage, and as his sin became known, the ripple effect it had across his family and throughout his life was devastating and destructive. He'd walked away from the Lord in in his lifestyle, and it was a disaster, and it caused incredible hurt and pain to others and to himself. There will be some here this morning walking away from the Lord. Let me say, I'm so glad you're here today, because this Bible passage could not be better for you. For today, we see the people of Judah, the people of God in Isaiah's day, walking away from their God in order to make an alliance with Egypt. But today we also see the remarkable, remarkable kindness and grace and compassion of God. Grace and kindness and compassion that burns so brightly in this passage that it is a beacon of light calling people back to him. I guess knowing uh, many, many of you most of us will not be deliberately walking away from the Lord, although we all need to hold our hands up and say we fail every day, but we're not deliberately walking away from the Lord in some area of life, yet this will still be an important passage for us for two reasons. We may well do in the future, and hopefully this passage will pull us back, but we will know people who are now or in the future are turning away from the Lord, and this passage will instruct us how to help them. Isaiah chapter 30 is a, well, it's the fourth woe in a series of six woes from chapter 28 through to chapter 32. We can see that in verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge woe to the obstinate children that's what the Lord calls his people Judah they are obstinate because he has spoken to them again and again and again warning them of the dangers of walking away from him and making an alliance with Egypt but although he's repeatedly called them not to do that they will not listen to him Parents here will know the pain of that experience. You've told your children, but they think they know best and they just ignore you. And when they reach a certain age, when they are really determined to ignore your advice, there's not a lot you can do about it. And so as you see them walking into a situation that you know will do them harm, you're frustrated and hurt and you fear for them. That's what's going on here. We see here God's people walking away from the Lord and we'll see the pain that the Lord feels. Of course, as we read chapter 30, those of us who've been here over these last weeks, it'll be no surprise to us whatsoever. Uh, Last week in chapter 29, verse 15, we saw them scheming, planning how they might make this alliance with Egypt. 
Now, chapter 30, verse 1, they were carrying out those plans to form an alliance. An alliance with Egypt, verse 2, for they thought an alliance with Egypt would bring them, do you see at the end of verse 2, protection and refuge. Now, let's not miss this point. They did need protection and refuge. They were under threat from the Assyrian army, like the power of a mighty floodwaters. The Assyrians had swept away everything before them. They were in the north, they'd come south, and Judah had seen nation after nation defeated by the mighty Assyrians. Nations that were bigger than Judah had crumpled under the weight of Assyrian invasion. So as the Assyrians got closer to attacking Judah, they were terrified and they thought it was sensible to make a military alliance with Egypt. But you see there in verse 1, that alliance was not from the Spirit of God. And verse 2, the people of God, Judah, had not consulted the Lord. We know, because we've been reading the book of Isaiah, we know that the Lord had been telling them again and again through his prophet Isaiah not to make this alliance and to trust him to deliver them from the Assyrians. And in these last weeks, we've considered how we do the same. When we feel vulnerable in this scary world, we look to all sorts of things to protect us. Peter's already mentioned uh, in leading us that we have many different competing voices calling on our heart to go that way. And so we too find it very easy to go to Egypt for protection rather than trust the Lord to be our refuge. Now note here, we've been seeing this over these last weeks, they're going off to Egypt, but something we've not really made a point of saying is that Egypt was a terrible place to go. I mean, any place to make an alliance was bad, but for Egypt especially, because Egypt should ring all sorts of bells for us, for those of us who are Bible readers. Egypt was the nation that had treated Uh, Israel harshly and and enslaved them back in the Exodus. Do you remember it? Egypt was a nation from which they had been spectacularly delivered by God through the Exodus. And so when the Assyrians came bearing down upon Judah and they started to think of making an alliance with Egypt, although it seemed such a sensible option and although they thought it would bring them freedom... Everything they knew about the past should have told them, no, that's walking back into slavery. Now, again, you see, that's how it is when we turn from the Lord and turn to something else. We become slaves of that other thing. It controls us. So, for an example, we we turn to money to give us protection and refuge, but then we become slaves to money. We get wealthy through hard work and career advancement. Our salary provides us with all the things that we think are going to give us a secure future, a nice home, good education for the children, all that sort of stuff. And then with a salary giving us the all we think we need, people then come to me and they use this kind of language. They say they feel trapped. They're overwhelmed by the pressures of work, but they can't step out of the situation. They can't think of getting a less pressurised job. Because the current job with a big salary is propping up everything they think will give them protection and refuge. And so, do you see, they become enslaved by this other thing. And that is true of anything we turn to to give us what we think we need, other than the Lord, eventually becomes um, our master. Which is why Jesus said in the second of our two readings, you cannot serve two masters. Not it's difficult to, you cannot You cannot serve both God and money. You'll always be devoted to one and despise the other. So don't go to Egypt. 
It will not give you the freedom that you think it's going to give you. You will become its slave. Don't go to Egypt. Don't be obstinate. The Lord has told us repeatedly, do not go there. And in the gospel, he has delivered us from Egypt. So to go back there is to reverse the redemption that we have in Christ. The problem is, of course, and we've seen this in chapter 29 especially, once we've set our heart on this other thing, believing that it will give us protection and refuge, everything that we so need, even though it leads somewhere that's terrible, because we've set our hearts on it, we will go to great lengths to get it. And that's what we see in chapter 30. The first point, if you're taking notes, the lengths we'll go to to get to Egypt. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. Verse 6, an oracle concerning the animals of the Negev through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes. The envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation. (laughs) I don't know whether you thought this, certainly when I first read this, when maybe you thought it when it was being read just now. What is this suddenly doing? Why why suddenly we've got this um, oracle to the animals of Negev? Well, let me tell you, this oracle is not a safari guide to the Negev. It's very important. It's an explanation of just how obstinate the children of Judah are. These verses show us the lengths that we'll go to when our hearts are set on Egypt. See, the Negev was a wilderness area south of Judah. And it was the route that they had to take, that the children of of Judah had to take in order to get to Egypt if they were going to avoid Philistia. And verses 6 and 7 tells us what a dangerous place the Negev was. Verse 6, full of snakes and and lions. And it was a desert of hardship and distress. But they went through it. And it was hard going through it. To make this alliance with Egypt, verse 6, Judah had to go through this wilderness laden with gifts on donkeys and camels. Why? To secure Egypt's support. This was a long, difficult, hard journey fraught with danger. But the obstinate children of Judah were so determined to go to Egypt, they prepared to take this dangerous journey. Desperately, I've seen people do this. Risking so much for the thing that they think will become their refuge. Risking their family and relationships and their own well-being. Perhaps, as I've already alluded to, a pursuit of a career. They become a slave to their work in order to give their family the material wealth they believe will make them happy. So that happens, doesn't it? People say, I'm I'm providing for my family, but of course they spend no time with their family and in the end they lose their family. Others risk much by repeatedly sinning and risking losing their spouse and their children because they think they'll not be caught. They'll not be bitten by the snake of the desert. The lengths people will go to when they've set their hearts on something other than the Lord. But desperately, they are seeking something that cannot help them. Do you see how the Lord describes Egypt? In verse 7, he calls her Rahab the do-nothing. Now, I love this. Rahab is the sea monster of popular legend. And Egypt is like that sea monster. Well, almost. For this is not just Rahab, but Rahab to do nothing. Egypt has lost its sting and can do nothing to help them. Egypt is like a sea monster that has got so old, all it does is sit in its chair at night with a rug over its knees watching Coronation Street. So verses 6 and 7 show the dangerous lengths Judah has gone to to form an alliance with a toothless monster whose best days are over. 
the lengths we'll go to to get to Egypt. And then in verses 8 to 11, secondly, we see the people will go to to justify going to Egypt. Now, as we've seen all the way through this section, the people of Judah are, do you see verse 9, rebellious people, deceitful children, and this phrase, children unwilling to listen to the Lord. Now, it's that last phrase that reiterates what we've seen throughout this section. It was stated back in chapter 28, Judah had turned from God's word. They wouldn't listen to the Lord as he spoke to them through the prophet Isaiah. And we've seen it right through these chapters. And so, verse 10 and they say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Oh, tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Again, it's strikingly, remarkably contemporary. God's people saying to those who should declare God's word, the seers and the prophets, God's people saying to them, end of verse 10, tell us pleasant things. And verse 11, stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Don't tell us what the Bible says. Tell us what we want to hear. Stop confronting us with a holy God who will tell us that we are sinful and tell us things that won't challenge us. Tell us things that make us feel comfortable and good about ourselves. Don't tell us the truth. Desperately, it happens in whole congregations, whole churches turning from the word of God and wanting their leaders to tell them only pleasant things. Well, when that's happening, churches are walking away from the Lord and making an alliance with Egypt. They don't want to hear from God anymore. And desperately, I meet the same thing with individuals in pastoral situations. When individuals have already made their mind up about a course of action, when they've set their heart on something and already decided that they won't listen to God's word on an issue, then they will try and find someone to say what they want to hear. They look for books that support their position. They search the internet to support their actions. And they will go around asking other Christians, one after another, until they find people who say what they want to hear. Which, incidentally, for us, if we're not walking away from the Lord, is so important that when people ask us for our advice on tricky pastoral issues, we must turn them to the Bible and tell them the truth of the Scriptures, even if it's not something they want to hear. And let me say, if there is an issue in your life, Please be aware of what you are doing when you go to, from one source after another to try and find someone to say what you want them to hear. See, make no mistake, the Lord speaks clearly. He had spoken very clearly to Judah in his word. Having delivered them out of Egypt, he told them not to go back to, Judah, uh, to, to Egypt. Uh, that was in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, very clearly. The Bible was clear on this issue for them, but they would not listen. The lengths we'll go to to get to Egypt, the people will go to to justify going to Egypt. Thirdly, in verses 12 to 14, we see that going to Egypt will ruin us. Verse 12, incidentally, is very striking. We've just seen the people of Judah don't want to hear what the Lord says. And the next thing we read is verse 12, therefore this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Even when we don't want to listen to the word of the Lord, the Lord will still speak into our situation. But listen to the warning he gives here, verse 12. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression, depended on deceit, 
The sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This picture is not difficult to understand. It's the picture of a pot that has been broken into such small pieces that it's not useful for anything any longer. So broken and shattered, not even one of the broken pieces is any use anymore. You can't even find a piece of this pot big enough for clearing out a fire or or scooping up some water. Completely broken. In short, this sin of rejecting the Lord and turning to Egypt, turning to something else uh, in order to give us what we want, this protection that we need, this sin leaves you, like a broken pot, completely useless describe someone I know he was serving the Lord having a significant impact on people becoming Christians helping a whole church family grow but he was serially sinful and when his sin was exposed his whole life came crashing down just like this like this wall coming crashing down and now years later his life is shattered and he is a broken mess he says it himself he says I'm useless it's verses 12 to 14 I can think of others who, who, since turning from the Lord, seem to have rebuilt their lives, but they still don't follow the Lord any longer. And so, as far as doing anything worthwhile is concerned, they are useless. The lengths we'll go to to get to Egypt, the people we go to to justify going to Egypt, how going to Egypt will ruin us. And fourthly, going to Egypt, you'll miss out on rest and quietness. That's verses 15 to 17. See, as we run away from the Lord, as we run to this other thing, not only are we left useless, but we actually reject the Lord. We reject the very thing, the very one who can give us what we so are looking for. Look at the language in verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. See, back in verse 2, we saw the people of Judah went to Egypt for protection and refuge. It's the very thing they were forfeiting when they walked away from the Lord. He wants to give them salvation, verse 15. He wants to give them strength. He will give them rest and quietness. See, in him we can find satisfaction and contentment and peace of mind. It's ours, verse 15, in repentance. But desperately, rather than repent, verse 16, Judah said, no, we will flee on horses. They imagined themselves in Egypt where they would ride strong horses. That would be a great place to go. So they said, no, we will flee on horses. And the Lord says, verse 16, therefore you will flee. Verse 16, you said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore your pursuers will be swift. The point is this, the very things we chase after end up hounding us. The thing we think that we we so want, that we so need, that will give us everything that we're chasing after will end up coming back and biting us. The lengths we go to to get to Egypt, the people we go to to justify going to Egypt, going to Egypt will ruin you. Going to Egypt, you'll miss out on rest and quietness. And then wonderfully, fifthly, God is gracious even to those who go to Egypt. This is verses 18 to 33, and especially verse 18. Look at verse 18. 
think of all that we've read and then we read, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. What a God. Verse 18 is a great verse wherever, whenever you read it, but, but in its context, it is stupendous. Judah constantly rejecting the Lord. We've seen it. Ignoring his word to them again and again. Turning away from him to rush to other things. Judah, we've seen it just this morning, has gone to extreme lengths to get these other things. It, it, kicking sand in the face of God. Judah are an obstinate children and yet, verse 18, he longs to be gracious. He rises to show compassion. End of verse saying, blessed are all who wait for him. All, even those who rebelled against him. Please be sure you know this about our God. And especially if you're someone who's walking away from the Lord right now. I wouldn't be at all surprised if there are some here today as you've heard his word as you've seen yourself in his word, you've felt him wooing you back to himself. But as you hear this gracious invitation of the Lord and turn around to come, and want to turn around to come back to him, the evil one will be whispering in your ear, no, you, you, you can't turn back to God, you have been so bad. He won't have you back. But he will, verse 18, because the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Blessed are all who wait for him. So how can you return? Well, very simply, cry out to him from your heart. Verse 19, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. See, the moment you cry out, he's there like a shot. There are times when my children don't want my help. That They want to do it their own way. They want to be independent. But the moment they ask me, genuinely ask me, when they cry out to me, I'm not a perfect father, but I'm there like a shot. I want to help them. That's how your heavenly father is. All you have to do is cry out and he'll help you. Even though you've turned away from him, even though you've gone to great lengths to walk away from him, cry to him and see how gracious he is to you. End of verse 19. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And then we read verse 20. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Do you see? They've turned away from the word of God. But as soon as you turn back to him, you begin to see it clearly through his word, through the teachers as he puts it here. And then, whether, verse 21, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. As you return to him and turn back to his word, you suddenly hear him clearly. You know which way to go. And then gloriously, as you do that, as you return to him and read his word, you begin to have a hatred for this thing that has filled your life. That's verse 22. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and save them away with you. It's a vivid, if somewhat gross, image. But it's this. If you really, truly return to the Lord when you've been walking away from him, he will give you a desire to get rid of what you have put in his place. 
Return to the Lord in repentance and you'll see that thing that has grabbed your heart that you've so been longing for. You'll see it as a used menstrual cloth. You'll want to chuck it away and have nothing to do with it any longer. You'll be free of it. And as soon as you do that, then you know great blessing. That's what follows for the people of Judah in verses 23 to 26. Verses 23 and 24 speak of rain and harvest and good pasture. Verses 25 and 26 speak of water and sunshine, of of bruises and wounds healed. See, Judah, like obstinate children, were walking away from the Lord towards slavery in Egypt. They went to great lengths to get there. Yet their gracious God called them. He called them to come back to him because he knew that he was the source of protection and refuge and blessing. Come back to him. In just a moment, we'll be taking uh, communion, bread and wine, remembering the cross of the Lord Jesus. At the cross, we see exactly what we've been reading here in verse 18, how gracious and compassionate our God really is. As you take bread and wine, see the lengths he's gone to to make you his own. See how he rescued you out of Egypt. When we were still far off, he met us in his, in his son and brought us home. Jesus died to bring us back to himself. And this morning, whoever we are, far from him or going on with him, turn to him as we take bread and wine. May I say, return to him if you're far from him. For verse 15, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Blessed are all who wait for him. We're going to turn to pray. And in just a moment, Pete is going to lead us uh, in our prayers. But let's have a moment of silence as he makes his way up. And we'll think about how we need to respond to all that we've heard from God's word this morning. A moment of silence.